0: Romans chapter thirteen Romans thirteen You'll notice there at the beginning of verse 11, in our ESV it says, besides this. Last week I pointed out that in the original, it's, it's really and this. I think the ESV translators took a little bit of liberty kind of reading in something maybe that they thought was going on here in Romans 13. Some of the translations add, and do this. King James says, and that. Well, I pointed out last week, I I think what's happening here is Paul is saying this. Drawing on verse 8, that says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, and that, knowing the time. That the hour has come, For you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies. which That's that's an interesting translation there as well. Um, The idea has to do with partying. Um, it's it's not necessarily that there isn't sexual misconduct at these parties, but it's so, I think some of the translations talk about partying or reveling, revelries. Um, it's got to do with just wild partying. And you'll notice here that Paul hits on three sets of sins, and each set seems to be related: partying and drunkenness. One not in sexual immorality and sensuality too, not in quarreling and jealousy. And it looks like these, both these pairs kind of go together, or all three of these pairs. Now here's our verse for today, verse 14. Now you all ready for this? You all got your eyes there? You're all, you're all paying attention. I, want, I really want you to see this. But, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, there it was. Did everybody see it? Christian, I just gave you the solution for all your problems. Do we have any women here? Wives maybe? You struggle with submitting to that unreasonable husband? Or husbands? Maybe you struggle with being content with that imperfect wife? With loving her? Uh, Any of you guys struggle with gentleness? Anyone ever feel overwhelmed with lust or jealousy or anger, self righteousness? Any of you guys know what it is to have conflict at home, at school, at work, maybe with some neighbor, roommate, a parent, a child, anything like that? Somebody at church? Anybody here struggle with any sin of any sort ever? Anybody have anxieties, worries, unbelief? Anybody bothered by ungodly fear? Anybody wrestle with pride? How about impatience, ingratitude, laziness, hatred, coldness, lovelessness? How about discontent? Any of you discontent? Is there just something about your life or something in your life or something you feel is missing from your life that ought to be in your life that you're just discontent about? You're just not happy with God about it. It just doesn't seem like it's right. How about self-pity? Any of you guys ever have a pity party? Worldliness? Vanity? Any of you folks feel attracted by the things of this world? A love for the things of this world? Look, in case you missed it, I just read this day in your hearing the one remedy for all these things. All of them. Listen, put on the Lord. Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Come on, folks. Aren't you all ecstatic? Aren't you overwhelmed with joy? Now you know you can have victory in every area of life, every situation. Just clothe yourself with Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, and you're all set. Victory! There it is. I've just counseled every Christian in this place concerning every sin you all have you ever struggle with, and I did it in only a matter of seconds. That's wonderful. Don't you all feel wonderful? Maybe not. Why not? I mean, why would I, I mean, yeah, I hear some saying they are. Some of you are probably saying, I, well, I don't know. I've read that verse before, I've read Romans. 13, 14, I've read this. Most of us have. And even though I read that, for some reason, I went away still finding myself often struggling with sin. Still often prone to wander, like the songwriter said. Still prone to fall into sin. Still find myself beset by sin. So we might conclude, well Paul, you're painting an awful beautiful picture here, but come back to reality. In reality, what we need is therapy right? We need extended hours of counsel. If I could just meet with Brother John or Brother Tim or somebody and we could talk for three or four hours. Maybe we could work through all these things. Or I need accountability. That's what I need. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with counsel and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with accountability. Sometimes we think that the solution to our problems is always out there in the horizon somewhere. It's always in some conversation or accountability that I don't have right now, but I think, well, if I could just get that, then then I'd be able to figure out all this stuff. Folks, have any of us ever read this before? And then we've walked away and we've found, well, it it didn't so drastically change my life. Listen, brother, let me share something with all of you. If you have ever read Romans 14, 13, and you have gone away, and barked at your wife. You've gone away, and you've been. You've you've fallen. You've fallen into some sexual temptation. You've gone away, and next thing you know, you're gossiping on the phone with sister so and so about somebody else. You ladies, go away from reading that, and you all of a sudden you're resisting your your husband's leadership. Let me tell you something. It's not because Romans 13.14 is useless information. It's not because Romans 13.14 is inadequate, defective. It's precisely because you did not do what Romans 13.14 says you should do. That's the real issue. Let me show you something. Everybody turn to to Romans 6.12, back just a few pages. Romans 6.12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Everybody see the word passions? Guess what? Guess what that word is? It's exactly the same word for desires that we have over in Romans 13.14. Listen folks, when Paul talks about the like, like he does right here, when he talks about the passions of the mortal bodies that's the same as talking about the desires of the flesh basically the flesh is is that aspect of us that is still attached to this i mean this this part of us this body there's this flesh this is where that sinful where does sin want to dwell where does it want to reign in the mortal body why this is still the fallen part of us that we carry around with us this is where the flesh is and so don't get all mixed up and messed up when you see flesh over here and mortal body over here and the desires of the the body being a bad thing and look that that's not to say everything about the body is bad this body is indwelt by the lord and this body we've what is it about over in first corinthians 6 we find it we're, we're supposed to serve the lord in this body But this is is where this idea... Okay, why did I bring up this? I don't want to chase any rabbits here. Get right right on the matter. We've got sin looking to reign in the mortal body. And what, what does it say? To make you obey their passions. There, That's plural. The passions of what? Not the passions necessarily of sin there. It's the passions of the mortal body. Brethren, Paul is talking about the same thing here that he's talking about over in Romans 13-14. Why do I bring that up? Because over in 13-14, we don't have a reference to sin like we do here. What I want to show you is basically this. When do you sin? You sin when in this mortal body you give place to its wicked passions. That's what happens. And what Paul is saying is by putting on Christ, and by making no provision for the flesh and for its passions, for its desires, what we do right there is we shut down sin. See, what I'm telling you is, this is about sin. This is about resisting sin's dominion in these mortal bodies. It seeks to reign there. We're supposed to resist it. How do you resist it? You resist it by putting on Christ Clothing yourself with Christ, making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And if you do that, sin doesn't get a foothold. When we sin, it isn't like we've clothed ourselves with Christ, made no provision for gratifying the desires of the flesh. Rather, it's precisely when we obey the desires of the flesh that we sin. Brethren, I'll tell you this. Mark it down. The reason we are not more successful is... In the battle against sin. And look, I'm not saying nobody here is successful. I believe we are. I believe we're growing. I believe we are battling sin. We must, if we're going to live, according to Romans 8.13, put, put to death the deeds by the Spirit. Put to death the deeds of the body. I believe that's happening. But I think we can do it better than we do. And, if, and one of the reasons we're not more successful in the battle against sin it's not because we need some complex therapy. It's because we don't do the very thing Paul's calling us to do. When we sin, the one thing Paul tells us to do, namely put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that very thing we have not done. And the one thing he tells us not to do, make provision for the flesh, that's the very thing we've done. So, when we're looking to put sin to death, This is exactly the key that fits the lock. We don't need some other remedy. And listen, you may be able to go somewhere else in the Bible and find where this is called something else, walking in the Spirit. I mean, There's a lot of different names and different ways that the Scriptures come at it. But regardless of what it's called, when we boil it all down, it comes to this, put on Christ, make no provision for the flesh. No matter what situation you then find yourself in, this is the key. This is the goal for, for achieving righteousness. So I don't think we need to look for another answer to our quest to put sin to death. Rather, we simply need to understand what in the world Paul is Paul saying in Romans 13, 14? That's the issue. What's he actually saying? Because, you know, it's kind of like, like the city of refuge thing that we heard about today, right? You can get that whole. Matt was talking typology, which basically means it's a figure, it's a shadow, it's a picture. I'm supposed to see some spiritual reality in a physical symbolic representation or in in some kind of physical manifestation. So, that's what we have right here. It's It's like the Lord would have us view clothing or armor. Something we put on, and he would have us view some reality about Christ. Well, I know how I put this sweater on today. You know how you put your shirt on. That's a physical reality we can all identify. But putting on Christ, now that's, that's a spiritual thing. How do we do that? Make no provision for the flesh. And what, How does that happen? What does it look like? I think, I think the real issue is not that we need to look for another solution in fighting sin. We need to come to grips with what those concepts are all about. So here we go. By the way, folks, as we dive into the text here, I think we can all probably see that this verse naturally breaks up into two parts. First, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, literal, the second part, it literally reads, and the flesh make no provision for its desires. Well, I think we need to look more closely at these. By the way, they're both commandments, both of them are commandments. He doesn't suggest that we ought to live our Christian lives this way. He commands it. Folks, this is essential. So here we go. Let's look at the first part. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look, if I asked you all, help me out with that. What does put on the Lord Jesus Christ mean? What would you guys say? What would you shoot off with? What comes to your mind right away? Faith. Dwell upon Christ. We've, we've, got, we've got this idea that if we gaze upon the glory of the Lord, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another into the same image by the Spirit. Right. Anybody? Anything else come to mind? Faith? Gazing? That gazing, by the way, is gazing in faith. Because, listen, it is an unseen Christ. We gaze by faith obedience, what else? The Word of God. All good answers. These things come to our mind. Definitely right. Definitely right. Well, One thing I started thinking about is, okay, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there, all these things are right, and I could just shoot out to them, but I, but I always want to try to delve into the context. Does the context help us out? Well, probably all four of these verses help us to size this up and begin to get a picture of what this looks like. It seems like verse 14 is probably somewhat of a culmination of what he's saying. But you know what I find interesting? I find interesting that in verse 12 he says this, Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You know what's interesting about that? Twice here, he says, put on. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what do you think? Is that likely two opposite, distinctly different things? My feel is, it's probably one and the same thing. Not two separate things. It's two ways of saying the same thing. Putting on the armor of light would be the same as putting on Christ. Why? Because in both instances, the opposite is given. Which is what? Cast off the works of darkness. Make no provision for the flesh. Isn't that kind of relatively saying the same thing? And we basic, I, I think that's, that's what Paul's doing here. Plus, it's not like it's a real stretch, is it? I mean, what is Christ? Christ says He is the true light. The One who claimed to be the light of the world. I mean, is, is putting on Christ so different than putting on light armor of light I don't think so at all to robe oneself with Christ is certainly to robe oneself with light okay let's let's assume my assumption there is right and true and I think it is how does that help us does that help you and me to say oh okay now that you've switched from putting on Christ to putting on the armor of light I see exactly what you're talking about now. I mean, now it's, a, it's plain to me. I've got a set of armor at home in my closet, an armor of light, and I'm going to go home and now you've made that clear. Well, you see, what I've done here is I've simply jumped from one analogy to another, which is one spiritual reality, which really another synonymous spiritual reality. Um, I, probably, if we just stop right there, we're not helped a whole lot. We probably still have the same issue. So. But what it does for me is this. It's a bridge to something else. Because if I say this, if I say, you know what, I think in Paul's mind, he's, he's thinking that putting on the armor of light is one and the same with putting on Christ. That then helps me, it bridges me to jump somewhere else. Where in the Bible do we have the most extensive treatment of putting on something? Ephesians chapter 6. Exactly. So why don't you turn there? Look with me at the first part of verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6. You see, Paul, Paul talks in this terminology. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the armor of light. Here to the Ephesians, he's he's using the same kind of, of illustration. Put on. The ideas in the Christian life, there's something to wear. Put on the whole armor of God. If you jump down to verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now brethren, I think this all kind of works together. Because think with me. Whatever armor Paul's talking about, when worn, what does it enable us to do? To stand. To stand when? To stand in the evil day. And what would be the idea behind that standing? Well, not falling into the evil of that evil day. Which is this very same thing. Cast off the works of darkness. Put on this armor of light. Put on Jesus Christ. Don't make provision for the flesh. Don't fall into the evil. I mean, Basically, we have the same thing. The evil day. We're in an evil day. There's evil all around us. And basically, this armor, it keeps us standing. It's the same thing all around. Don't fall into sin. Don't give way to it. Don't give way to these, to these bodily passions. Put off these works of darkness. Stand fast. Satan's going to come against us. What does he come against us to do? To cause us to sin. Let's read further. Let's, let's look at the components of this armor. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the Gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, Look, you know what I'm telling you? I'm telling you in Paul's mind, I believe putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is the same as putting on the armor of God or the armor of light. I think it's exactly the same thing. And you can say, well, prove it. Well, okay. Basically, you heard what I just read. Belt of truth. Okay, you're going to put on a belt of truth. Are you going to tell me that belt of truth has nothing to do with putting on Christ? Are you going to tell me that there's no relationship between truth and Christ? If you try to tell me that, I'm going, to tell you you don't. I'm going to tell you Christ is the truth. He's exactly that. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you remember what he said to Pilate. Remember what he said? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Is it artificial? Is it make-believe? Is it, is it somehow a stretch to say that putting on the belt of truth is the same as putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? Not at all. We say, okay, it works with the first thing. What about with all the rest? Okay, follow me here. Breastplate of righteousness. Which one of us is going to talk about Christian righteousness without talking Christ? Brethren, brethren, because it's a righteousness that you put on, I think it's talking about our practical righteousness, zealous for good works righteousness, a worked out righteousness, working out your salvation and fear and trembling righteousness. But even if you said, I don't agree with you, I think it's our justification. What have you gained if you want to get Christ out of the picture? You've gained nothing. Because He is our righteousness. Is that not what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? I mean, wasn't he made our righteousness? Isn't that what God did? Our righteousness that we are to be robed with in the sense of justification? But folks, even when you even if we boil this down to what we're doing in our life and we're working out, what is it it says in 1 John chapter 2? Brethren, it says if we say that we know him, we should walk as he walked. He's the pattern. And so whether you want to talk to me about an imputed righteousness or an imparted righteousness, either one, Christ is the model of one and He's the one that worked out the other. Brethren, we, we, He is the very heart and soul of the breastplate of righteousness. They say, okay, it's worked on the first two. Well, what do you, what's, the, what's the third thing? You've got a Gospel of peace. Readiness on my feet. Gospel of peace. Brethren, if you've got a Gospel on your feet, a readiness, a preparedness on your feet, that isn't a Gospel of peace, then you have no Gospel. Because it's good news. That's what Gospel means. And you have good news, no good news if there's not peace. And earlier in the Ephesian letter, Paul himself hits on this very fact. Christ himself is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 You have no Gospel without Christ. You have no Gospel of peace without the Christ who made peace for us. So again, feet that are shod with a readiness or a preparedness of the Gospel of peace, it's all about Christ. Okay, maybe you're, maybe, maybe you're starting to be convinced. A shield of faith, brethren. Do we have faith anywhere but in Christ? Paul said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's absurd. Would they even think about talking about a shield of faith without talking about Christ. Helmet of salvation. Brethren, there is salvation in no one else. There is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. If we're going to talk salvation, we talk Christ, the sword of the Spirit. Didn't Jesus Christ say, you guys think in these Scriptures you have eternal life, but they're what? This is what speaks of me. Brethren, everything about everything that the the Christian wears from head to foot, if there's any piece of your armor in which it does not appear that you are wearing Christ, then you've got defective armor, folks. Now look, okay, my whole point... Look, we're we're going somewhere with this. We really are. Where are we going? Hold tight. How does this help me fight sin? I'm going to show you in a second. How does it knowing to put on Jesus Christ is the same as putting on all this armor of God? How does that help me fight? Just hold that thought. I'm going to show you that it does. It does matter. But before I really nail this down, just hold that thought, we're going to run back to Romans 13, 14 and look at the second half. So so jump back there. Romans 13, 14, the second half. Not only should we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, but concerning the flesh... We should make no provisions for its desires. You guys all see the word provision, right? You guys see it? Provision. Okay, so Paul's assuming this. The passions of the flesh can be provided for or not provided for. That's where sin seeks to reign. Basically, the way I resist sin's reigning there is not by giving provision to these passions of the flesh. Guess what? This word provision shows up one other time in our New Testaments. Now listen to it. Don't turn to it, but listen to it. Acts 24.2 This is where Paul is defending himself before Felix. Now, do you remember before Paul spoke, another guy spoke against him? Remember who it was? Ter- Tertullus was... I was going to say Tertullian, and I thought, no, 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 that's not right. It's Tertullus. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, that's Paul, saying, now listen to this, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, that's the word, that's our word provision, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. You know what? The word foresight, that's the same word. It literally means forethought. I want you to think about that. Because forethought, the idea behind this, it takes us to our thoughts. What I think about beforehand. Now you think about this. I think this hits the matter right on the head. How do we make provision for sin? By what we think before the matter. Brethren, do we sin out of the blue? Brethren, it comes from somewhere. Forethought. What's going on in the mind? Think about it. Does a woman just Disrespect her husband out of the blue. See, why do you keep bringing that one up? Well, because I started with it. There's a lot of different sins. I mean, ladies, I'm not coming after you. Particularly. I mean, we all want to wear the shoe when the shoe fits, right? But think about that. Does a woman just suddenly blurt out something or show forth an attitude or a deed? that disrespects her husband that did not come from forethought. Well, what's she thinking? What kind of things go through the mind of a woman? Well, she sat in front of television a lot. She's maybe sat in front of movies before. She's seen this ideal man and woman. You know, Prince Charming. And she begins to realize, and look at this guy i got. He's not Prince Charming. Look, my wife warns the ladies about getting wrapped up in these Hollywood ideas about what marriage is like for a good reason. Why? Because it affects the thoughts. You begin saying "Here's, here's where a woman is. My marriage isn't like that. And what happens in the thoughts? She's making provision in other ways too. What happens? Well he's not just as gentle with her all the time as he ought to be. And so she begins to replay that thing over and over. He did me wrong. He was not gentle with me. Or because it's a submissive thing, he's not a good leader. You know what? He's made some pretty idiotic decisions. And if I, and if I don't disrespect him, and he's going to make bad choices. And it's going to get our family into a lot of trouble. In fact, he's done it. And I can recount all of them. I remember that, and this, and this, and that. And it's going through the mind. And by the way, my marriage isn't as good as my sister so-and-so's over there, or that one over there. And why did I get? why did I get this clunker in the whole deal. And it seems like everybody but look, you you know this is true. These you know that you laugh at this, but we have thoughts go through our mind that we don't want anybody else to ever know we thought. Because if we could put all our thoughts out here on the table, folks, we know we know what happens before sin comes into play. But you know Brethren, that kind of discontent and a woman chews on it and then husband comes home from work and she's like, boom! And where'd that come from? Well, it came from a mind that was set on all these things, making provision for the flesh. I mean, think about this. A man who views pornography. I'm talking about a a Christian man, a genuinely saved man who falls. Whether Whether it's looking at a woman, whether it's illicit sensuality with a woman, whether it's any kind of sexual sin, viewing pornography on, on the internet. You think about it. What goes through the mind? There's all sorts of thoughts. Like a, a single guy. I was talking to a guy recently. He said, you know, you hit on this before. About what? Pity. Right? Lord, I'm single. And how come you haven't brought me a wife yet? I don't have the gift of singleness. And here I am. And we start to have this pity party. And we start to become angry with God. Because God hasn't given us just what we want. He hasn't given us a woman to wrap our arms around. And so we start thinking, you know, I kind of got the raw deal here. I see other guys my age, and they're finding wives, and some of them getting married. How come I haven't? How come I'm, I'm the one being left out here? And so self-pity. And we start to play these things over and over. And then we start to justify, yeah, I'm kind of getting the raw deal here, and so, you know, I've heard I've heard about some of these guys. They they begin to reason and and uh, they begin to, you know, some of you guys you came out of illicit backgrounds where you had all sorts of sexual sin, and now you start playing on those things. You start remembering, you start playing out in your mind over and over, or things you viewed when you in the past, things from your lost days that you viewed on the internet. You start playing these images, and you. you or some girl that is at school or something and you start playing these images through your mind. Brethren, I guarantee you there ain't a man in this church that has ever fallen into sexual sin that didn't play this thing out and come men and women don't run off together and, and you know, a guy doesn't go after his secretary at work and just run away from his wife except this thing played out in his mind and he had images and brethren, we make provision for the flesh and it goes on in the mind. Think about jealousy. Think about quarrel. Those, those two we saw there that we were to put off. Works of darkness, two of them Paul talked about, were, were quarreling in jealousy, envy, fighting. Well, think about that. Where does that come from? Where does it come from in the church? Well, you know, I'm going I'm to show them. I think I was right in that matter. I don't, I don't think Brother Tim was. I don't think Brother John. I, you know what? I think, I think they were wrong. And you start praying, I got wronged in that deal. Somebody wronged me. And I start playing it over and over. Or somebody's got something that I want. And I start thinking about it. And I dwell on it. I want that thing. I want that thing. I want what they have. Get into envy. And I don't want them to have what they have. And we think and we think and we think. And we begin to covet. And this stuff works in our minds. And we play it over and over and over Brethren, th- th- this is a reality. This is this is this is where the fight is, and you know what Paul's not saying here. He's not saying, "Well, don't give forethought to the to the passions of the flesh. Don't give provision to it." And in other words, empty your mind, brethren. We just came from India. One of the guys over there, before he was converted, he got involved in Buddhism. You know what Buddhism? They want you to get into this. Transcendental Meditation or whatever, and they basically want you to empty your mind. You know what he got out of that? He got, he got all sorts of demonic oppression out of it. God, you know, you try to empty your mind. You try to clear all the thoughts. Brethren, try to, try to not think about something. Something you're thinking about right now. Just try force yourself not to. I tell you, this idea of just creating a mental vacuum is a playground for the devil. It's, it's not, this is not what God's saying. You say, well, okay, what is He saying? Ah, well this takes us back to the first part. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it all begins to come together. The battle's in the mind. Don't make provision in the mind. Don't allow all these thoughts that lead me to carry out the sensualities and desires and fleshly passions, get rid of those thoughts And now I'm putting on Christ. Well, if putting on the Christ is the same as a belt of truth, let me ask you this. When you put on a belt of truth, where do you put it on? Not on your your waist. Where does truth go? Where is truth believed? Brethren, in our minds. We don't wear it on our waist. It goes into our minds. It fills our thoughts. Look, and the writer of Hebrews hit sin this way. In Hebrews 3.13, the deceitfulness of sin. Guarantee. guess what's going on in all these thoughts? Guess what's going on in the thoughts before somebody falls into jealousy and quarreling? Before they fall into sexual immorality and sensuality? Before they fall into revelries and drunkenness? What's going on in the mind? You know what? deception. In Hebrews 3, we have sin, the deceitfulness of sin. And you know what Paul says over in in Ephesians chapter 4? What is it? I think it's about verse 22. He actually calls these desires of the body or of the flesh deceitful desires. Guess what? Nobody falls into sin except they believe a lie. That's what happens in the brain. That's what happens in the mind. That's what happens where the battle is you convince yourself that sin is somehow going to work out for your good and it's going to be to your joy and it's going to make you happy that's what happens we justify sin on the basis of a lie every one of us every time because brethren what is the truth now listen if your mind if in your mind you have put on truth then what happens well, the woman who's having these ideas realizes, for one, Hollywood isn't true. That's not real life. And they begin to realize, and even though on the surface brother and so-and-so and and sister so-and-so may seem to have a better marriage than mine, that may or may not be. And the truth is, even if marriage is better, by the grace of God, mine can be as good as that. And they begin to think through, and you know what? God has given me this husband. And he says all things work together for my good. And so this husband must have been the greatest good. Because one thing that he's in the business of is conforming me to the image of Christ. And so he must have known that the greatest degree of unChrist likeness might be most affected by the man or the woman that I've gotten. And so we start to think through this and we start to... We start to realize, and by the way, if I sin, sin is always destructive. And sin always grieves the Spirit. And sin never makes me more Christ-like. And sin never helps me be a better example to my brothers and sisters. And sin, it just never helps in any way. And in fact, I remember other times when I sin, and even though this sin is holding out the promise of this I've found that every time I've been suckered into that promise, I only end up more hollow and more empty and less satisfied and less gratified. In fact, I've found that the truth is that when my mind and my heart are set on Christ, and I realize that whatever there is in this life, I'm headed towards perfection. And even if i got the crummiest husband in the world, Christ is my true husband and He's perfect. And I'm going there to be with Him forever. And plus, I have known that He gives me grace. And He's given me a love for this guy in many ways that, would not, that I, are simply impossible when I was lost. And you see, brethren, we begin to robe ourselves and cloak ourselves with truth. And then you can go right down through this whole line. What? A breastplate of righteousness. Where do we make righteous decisions? In the mind. The Gospel being on our feet. Now listen, a lot of times we have this idea that our feet shod with the readiness preparation of the Gospel is evangelistic in nature. I'm not going to take away from that. But the picture is standing firm In the evil day with the devil coming against us, seeking to knock us over. I think the idea is something on your feet that gives you ballast. It gives you foundation. It's firm on your feet. Your feet are planted. Where? In a Gospel. You're not planted firmly in the Gospel unless the truths of that Gospel are firmly established in your mind. When all the gales of hell come against you and you can say, I am saved by the grace of God. Listen, brethren, we move through these (coughs) a shield of faith. Where do you believe? In the mind. Hope. We think about a helmet of salvation. Over in Thessalonians, Paul talks about the hope of the helmet of salvation. The helmet of the hope of salvation. Where do we hope? We hope in the mind. Brethren, our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the salvation He worked out for us. Our hope is in this. Jesus Christ completely satisfies God's wrath on our behalf. Why does that help? Because when the woman realizes, I have disrespected my husband, and the devil comes in there and says, you pathetic wretch. There's no hope for you. you say, no. My feet are planted in a gospel my helmet of salvation is a hope in Jesus Christ. The word of God is a sword. Brethren, what do we do with the Word of God? I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Where's the heart? It's the mind, folks. It's, it's our thinking. That's where we, The Word of God, listen, the Word of God is a sword, does you no good unless you believe it. Unless you. Live it, you meditate on it, you chew on it, you think on it. It's got to be here. That's where it does us any good. Think with me here. Brethren, when our thoughts are robed in Christ, when you've just had your eyes on glory and the helmet of salvation and a hope, I am going to be with Christ and I am going to be sinless. What does it say right there in 1 John chapter 3? All that have this hope do what? They purify themselves. It's very hard for a guy to have his eyes on Christ and elated with the joy of going to heaven and then go over here and masturbate. There's something looking at him. It's very difficult for a wife whose heart is just filled with the things of Christ and she's elated and overjoyed and she's humbled. God has saved her. Her sins are forgiven. It is finished, was cried on that cross. Jesus Christ has the power to save me from my sins and definitely save me from massive amounts of the power of it in this life. And I'm going to trust when my husband comes home that he is going to give me the ability to love him and to hold him and respect him. Very difficult then for that woman. You see, brethren, it's not a vacuum. You take out the filth. You cast off the filth. You cast off the impurities. And you robe. And I don't think we can come to any concept of being robed with Jesus Christ, clothed with Christ, wearing Christ, putting on Christ, except in our thoughts and in our mind. That is really where the battle is held. That is where the armor of God cloaks us You can't separate any of that armor from what goes on up here. Not at all. Brethren, there's a reason why the Bible says, keep your heart with all vigilance or diligence, for from it flow the springs of life." There's a reason, brethren. I'm telling you, this is real. You know it is. All of you know it's real. You know that's where the battle takes place the reason that we have not succeeded as well as we have isn't because Romans 13:14 doesn't work because we've tried it and found it wanting it's because our great want is that we haven't tried it we we and i think a lot of times it's because we read it and we don't come to the heart of the matter the battle is in the mind robe yourself folks You say, can I really control my thoughts? Set your mind on things above. Set it. It's almost like Paul talks about it like it's this book, like I can just set it there. Can a man just set his thoughts? I'll tell you what, a man can open this Word and begin to read and fill his thoughts with this Word. A man can abstain from going to a movie that's full of Filth and wretchedness that fills his thoughts with garbage. A man can keep from having the kind of intimate friendship with godless people, listening to godless conversation that tends to corrupt good morals. Brethren, you can control your thoughts. You can control your environment. You can control what you watch or don't watch. You can control what comes up on your computer, on your television. You can control what movies you go to. You can control what people you hang out with. You can control what books you read. What magazines you pick up. You can control whether you go into a mall or not and pass by all sorts of stores that just flaunt worldliness and excess and garbage. And, and it, brethren, you can immerse your thinking in Christ by dwelling on, on the word be in the Gospels. Yes, this comes back to what we talked about last week. Gazing at Christ. But what does that look like? We gaze at Christ in faith. Which means it's not with these eyes, it's in the mind that we see Christ. Brethren, this is it. This is it. there is. There is you can look, you can search this world far and wide, but you have no other way to fight sin. Like I say, Call it by different names. But this is the heart of the matter. Brethren, if you're not keeping your heart, if you're not keeping your thoughts, and I've been challenged by this, just, just you know, we have to come back again and again. We have, to, we have to come back and say, okay, I've strayed. I've allowed things into my life that are definitely affecting my thoughts. We need to go home from times like this, you hear a message like this, and we need to say, okay, we're doing house cleaning. We're only going to allow those things in our life that... Look, and I know, brethren, you can't read the Bible 24 hours a day. And I recognize we need times of rest. We need times of relaxation. There are times when, you know, You just need to do some mindless things, because you you know you can work the mind so hard for so long, and you just kind of shut down. I realize that, but brethren, you know what I'm talking about. We can virtually. We just we need to be in a place where our thoughts, our mind is just on Christ all the time, even in our rest, even in our relaxation. The sweetness of Christ just. Permeates our thoughts. They're constantly going back there. Constantly back to the Gospel. Constantly back to His life and His words and His person and His glory all the time. Replacing the provision. The flesh is like an animal. Give it provision and it will come back to life. You give it a little food. You give it a little nourishment. Brethren, keep killing it, keep killing it, keep killing it. And a mind saturated with Christ, you won't make provision for the flesh. Will God help us to do so? Amen.